Well, hello, and welcome to 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 8. And if you are very tightly married to a church system or to any faith community system, this chapter is going to challenge you. It's going to come into your house and start kicking over the furniture. It, it certainly did to me. I was raised with a very established set of rules and beliefs and doctrines and practices, all of which had to be followed, some of them in a particular order, or you had no chance of salvation. And even if you went through the outward forms, if you didn't believe in all of the doctrines, you were also most likely lost. Uh, you were certainly in danger of the peril of your mortal soul. And yet, I grew up and I started reading scripture. And I found out it's nothing like that. There's, there's no reason for this. There's no justification for 90% of what we lay on the backs of people. And watch what Paul has to say about this. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, he says, I know, remember, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel. There have been times in my life where I preached the entire complicated system because that's what I was taught, and I, I preached it honestly and sincerely, and those who taught me taught me honestly and sincerely. I don't look upon any of these people as bad or they didn't have any you know, devious motive behind this. They really believe this because they were told and they were told, and that's how we started the Monday morning messages and the who told you about. We all bought into systems and even those who broke from systems. For example, let's say Martin Luther breaking from the medieval Catholic church system, although Martin Luther never technically left the Catholic church and he breaks from that system, what happens? People clump around it and then they create a new church, a new faith system, and it's a Protestant system, but Zwingli over here also has a Protestant system and they differ on a couple points, so now they gotta go fight each other. And then there's Calvin and he's gonna set up his own rules. He breaks from the Roman church, but then he builds this massive, well, actually he's, he's in charge of a whole city, Geneva, a city kingdom at that time, and then writes these doctrines and teachings and essays, and it is as complex as anything that ever came out of Rome. And you read Paul, and you read Jesus, and you don't get any of this. Jesus, it's love God and love your neighbors yourself. He said that fulfills all the law, all the prophets. Here is not the only time, by the way, Paul says, all I know is Jesus Christ. And now Christ was not Jesus' last name. So when he says Jesus Christ, he is saying he believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one of God, and descended from David. So that, that links him into the Old Testament, as we call it, or the Hebrew scriptures. Paul is saying, I believe the story that brought us to Christ. Does that mean that he believes every single word in the Bible in the, well, at that time, that was his Bible, was the Hebrew scriptures, was without error and inerrant. 
in our modern 2022 way of thinking. No, uh, he tells, tells Timothy, you, you need to rightly divide this. You need to handle it correctly. But if you do, it brings you to Jesus. And Jesus is your destination, not church and 3,000, 8,000, 10,000 canon laws of the church. Jesus is our destination. And we believe it, and we believe it was God's intention, and he has brought us to Jesus. So how did this get so complicated? Well, I don't think I can answer that in its entirety, but I think you could answer it as well as I, and that is, we have a tendency to want power, control, consistency. I don't know how many times I've had people come up to me during a worship and say, ah, th this happened during worship and I wasn't used to that. As if worship were designed to make sure we were never discomforted. That we were never discomfited is a right English word. We were never uncomfortable. That, um, that it was there to please us and never startle us. I don't know where we got that idea. I know Constantine had a real deep desire to get Christians all on the same page because that way they were more manageable within his kingdom. And it just seems like we have taken that and run with it for the last 1700 years. And it's not been to Christ's benefit or to ours. It's good news if we believe in Jesus and what Jesus taught. And as Paul said back in the books in Corinthians, we've already covered those. Those are back in the files and they're free. You can go back and listen anytime. That all he knew was Jesus Christ and him crucified, resurrected on the third day. That's all he knew. And this is his gospel. This is all he's got. Over the years, there have been some churches that have thought, you know, we'd like to have a, a preacher like Patrick to come and be our, our minister or our pastor. And they've sent me, sometimes it's a phone call or the like, especially back before the age of the internet. But I have also received four or five times a big nine by 12 manila envelope. And you know, I'm going, oh, okay. You open it up, they're anywhere from four to 26 pages. I'm not making this up. 26 pages of question. You know, we, we really like you and we would really like to talk to you about being our minister, but um, here's what we're going to do. Um, we need to make sure that you are doctrinally okay with us. So what do you think about this lectureship? What do you think about this author? What do you think about the Trinity? What do you think about the relation? And on and on and on. What if, by the way, I've never answered to one of those. Never. I've even had people call me and say, did you get it? Yes. Well, we'd like for you to send that back. And I've said, no, I, I don't really want to do that. And they've sent it to me again and called me again. And I'm going, no. What if I were just to take a three by five card, put that in a nine by 12 manila envelope, but write on it, remember this, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. That's my gospel. Do you think any one of those churches would have hired me? Spoiler alert, no, 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 no. They would go, well, we're not sure that he, and watch this word, we're not sure he has sound doctrine. We're looking for a sound man. Churches that are disappearing, whole denominations that are disappearing 
from the religious map of the United States and Canada are advertising for preachers as they shrink, gray out, and die. And I go look at those advertisements from, some time, from time to time, and most of them will say, we're looking for somebody who is sound. In other words, they've got to agree with everything we've been doing, which has not been working, and which has put us in these desperate straits. We need somebody to help us keep doing that. Rather than going back to scripture and saying, if Paul can say this, why can we not say this and get these burdens off our backs? Jesus railed against the Pharisees. He says, you move heaven and earth to make one convert, and then you put more burdens on them and make them a child of hell. Not because they're evil, but because they, they feel completely unable to be saved because of all of these burdens. I know it drove me to a period in my life where I didn't want to believe in God because God, there's no way to please him. There's no way I was going to make it. And then I started reading scripture more as a way to argue with God than anything else. Uh, I had long discussions with God, telling him, all right, if you are God, you're a big boy and you can handle anything I throw at you. But I'm going to look and see what you got here. And when I really read it, free from denominational creeds and chains and community um, community rules that, to keep me in line, it was startling and it was infuriating to find how few rules God puts on us and how little he talks about the way we are to worship or the way we are to organize or the way we are to sit and face forward when a preacher preaches. No, remember Jesus? Act like Jesus. That's it. That's all. That's the good, and that's good news. Because if it is, you know, when the doors swing open, you swing in every church service, you volunteer for everything, and here are the 26 pages of things you've got to be in complete doctrinal alignment. And then maybe you got a shot. That's a burden. That's not good news. Paul's not done. He said, this is my gospel for which I'm suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal, because he was at this stage, being chained, kept in house arrest, and then moved to prisons. It was not a good time for him. Therefore, I am, oh, he says, but God's word is not chained. How can I skip over that? Don't skip over that. I'm chained, but God's word is not changed. We, we are a me-centric species. I'm not here saying that we're narcissists, but we're all me-centric. We have some narcissistic tendencies, no matter who you are. And it's always good to, to recognize that and then to manage it. I don't know that you can get rid of it. Um, I don't know that you can actually be sitting at night going, I'm really hungry, but I bet other people are more hungry, so I won't eat. Yeah. No, no. Some self-care, some self-interest is very, very important. But there have been times in my life where my work was not working. What I did, I could see no fruit. In fact, of the thousands uh, of, of people around the world that are watching our safe harbor, I wasn't aware that that many people were listening to me before and two years ago when we started this. And so when people said, let's start this, I said it wouldn't work because I really thought maybe 
maybe a hundred people have been following me through the years. Maybe 150 if I'm being really egotistical about this. And then I found out two big things. One, there were thousands. And two, they weren't following me. They were following my lessons because they didn't point them to me or to a church or to politics, but rather just to Jesus. So that was uplifting and humbling at the same time. I hope you understand how I'm trying to get that point across. But sometimes when we're doing really badly, we think God's in trouble. You know, God, you know, we've been working and working. This town just will not listen. Paul says, I am, I'm in chain. But God's word is not in chains. What an amazing attitude. That, my friends, that's something which I have to read from time to time to remind myself because I am prone to not seeing the upside. I have a mother, 91 years old, and as I'm recording this, which is a bit earlier than you're going to be hearing it, she's in a lot of pain. She's been struggling. Um, she's fallen a couple times, and while the x-rays show no broken bones, at 91, hitting like she did, there are massive bruises, and she's in a lot of pain. But my mother is the most relentlessly upbeat and optimistic person I've ever met. And I seriously, I have just never met a person like her. And the sad thing is, it seems to have skipped a generation because I can become morose or fight depression at the drop of a hat or the purchase of a hat or the loss of a hat. And I have to go back and read Paul, read David, read Jesus, find a way. How did they pull themselves out of things? You know, Jesus was prophesied to be known as a man of sorrows and well acquainted with our grief. And you read the Psalms and more than one third of them are laments. Let's find out how they pulled themselves out. And what Paul did was remember, it's not about me. And while I'm chained and I may die, he'll bring that up here shortly, uh, Christ has risen and the kingdom will live and God is not chained and neither is the good news. And the good news isn't that we're gonna substitute the 600 something laws of the Old Testament, we're gonna, we're gonna put that aside and we're gonna instead put in more than 3,000 canon laws. That's not good news. The good news is you are free in Christ. And isn't that cool? Oh, let's keep reading. Um, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Uh, the word elect there is not something we use very often. My mother is known as Catherine, but her real first name is Electa. They named her after the elect lady in one of John's very short notes. Uh, we call it a book, but it's pretty much just a, a, a little note. Uh, we don't use the word elect. And a lot of Calvinists leap upon the, the elect and they say God has chosen before the foundation of the universe who he will choose for salvation who he will choose to put, or there's another variation, who he will choose for his church. But their salvation is still not entirely guaranteed because they have a wee bit of free will. There are degrees of Calvinism, and I'm not any of those. I think when you elect to choose Jesus as your savior, the scripture says he elects to choose you. It is very much, uh, in fact, look at the hymn that Paul 
is quoting here. And by the way, we really think it is a hymn that was already in use because it is very Jewish. There's a parallelism. One line will state something and the next line will answer it. It's like a really quick call and response. And, and again, very typical for Jewish writing at the time, especially hymns, poetry, and the like. They will then slip in a negative statement and then a response to it. There are a few that think Paul wrote this, but I've not seen any evidence that Paul was a hymn writer, but he did quote hymns. So listen to this hymn, just the words. I'm not going to sing it to you because I like you. Here's a trustworthy saying. Here's a parallelism. If we died with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. That's the negative one. If we are faithless, here's another, he will remain faithful for he cannot disown himself. Which is a fascinating little spin there that we're going to really get into into the new year, God willing. And that is about how broad is salvation? And it might be more broad than you think. But if you notice something here, those that like to grab the word elect out of verse 10 and say, see, God pre-chooses who's going to be saved. And then again, that's Calvinism, uh, Calvinism. Uh, the old tulip. Uh, if you don't know what tulip is, Google Calvinism tulip, and you'll see those five big principles. And I'm, I'm just not a fan, frankly. One of the reasons is, look what came right after it. It wasn't, if he chose you, you may choose him. No, he said, no, if you, if you endure, you'll reign with him. And if you died with him, you'll live with him. In fact, he even says, doesn't he? In Romans uh, chapter 9, chapter 10, we find out that, that elevating Christ in your life, your speech and your conduct or profession, we profess Christ, he will profess us. And Jesus made it very plain. He said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before God. In other words, we've got a choice. We have a, vo a vote here. And you don't have to say, well, I hope my vote counts. It's not like human systems. This is a covenant God has made with you with all of us, individuals, communities, nations. There, there's only one race. I'm just too, I'm a science guy. It just really gets me when people talk about all the races. We're humans. Race is really a construct. And we can even trace that back if you want. You can ask a question for Monday morning messages. But again, so what do we do with this? If this is what we know, the good news, what do we do with this? Oh, Paul's not done running in your church building and kicking over your stuff. Keep reminding them. Remember, this is to Timothy. He is a minister to, at this point, most likely still in Corinth. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God. You watch, listen carefully. Against quarreling about words, it is of no value. It only ruins those who listen. Oh, my goodness. He just blew up not only the internet, but he blew up 90% of our preaching. And yes, I just pulled that number out of the air. <laughs> it just seems that way, all right? We argue about words. Well, what does baptism mean? Okay, buddy, here comes the debate. Well, what does music and worship entail? Well, let's talk to you about the, the word solo and what it means and what it cannot ever mean as far as I'm concerned. And the arguments about words. I have been 
uh, I've been blessed to be able to go to several different denominations, uh, big meetings, sometimes called a lectureship or a convention or a confab or something. And I've been very blessed by some of the things I see there. But I also see the internal conflict. If you think your church is always fighting and the other churches would be better, just be aware that conflict seems to be everywhere. And a lot of it is there's anger about words and quarreling about words. And so many times I've stood there and asked myself if I were an unbeliever, but I was sincere and honest in my openness to see if this was something which might interest me, would this pull me in or run me out? I would ask every minister who's listening to this, every elder, every bishop, every lay leader, whoever you are in your church, if a non-believer walks in just to say, I'm just thinking, I'm going to watch this and see if I want to be more like these people and go where they're going and do what they do. There have been churches I couldn't wait to get out of there because the guy was angry. I don't know why it almost always is a guy. The guy was angry preaching. There's anger or there's disagreement or there's noses in the air and we're really trying at our safe harbor to never be that way. And one of the ways we do it, people always ask, you know, who am I accountable to? I got a board that takes care of the finances and makes sure that's pristine and perfect. And that we're very honorable passing the money through to the poor and the needy. And then also have a team. And if you want to be on the team, it's really easy to be on the team. And that is come to the soundstage. If you're in middle Tennessee, you're in driving distance, you show up. After a couple of weeks, we consider you part of the team. And you can come up to me and say, Patrick this, Patrick that, and, and I listen because I'm accountable to the in-person community. I'm also, it's less accountable, to be honest. But if somebody sends me an email, I answer. Uh, there have been a few dropped balls. And by the way, if you're one of those that I didn't answer, would you please email me again, patrick at rsafeharbor.com, and I will apologize and get back on it. Sometimes in my travels, I think I'm going to get to that and I forget, but 99% of the time I get to it, right? That said, I'm not unaccountable because I've got friends like Epaphras in Tanzania. And if he writes me a question or if he says, Patrick, you said this, but I have to answer him. We are accountable to each other, but our accountability is Look like Jesus, live like Jesus, speak like Jesus. Don't argue about words. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman that does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. We brought this up earlier. The older versions would say rightly divide. And both of those translations are actually really good because it's a concept here. The Bible never says, read it, believe it, and that settles it. Never, ever. It says to read with wisdom and read in community. If you read on your own and study on your own, you come up with weird ideas and there's nobody there to stop you. I think of Charles Taz Russell, who was the founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses. And he studied by himself, learned by himself, taught himself Greek and did none of it very well and then decided to had to find, you know, start a watchtower society. It became the Jehovah's Witness Church. 
And there are so many basic errors in his beginning teaches, teachings that had they been stopped by going to a larger community and saying, did I get this Greek word right? Am I understanding history here okay? Then we would not have had these divisions. But he didn't. And this is one of the reasons why we want to put this out as far as possible. is because iron sharpens iron. We got to handle this Bible correctly. And I love listening to podcasts from people who don't have churches, but who are Old Testament scholars, Hebrew scholars, um, New Testament scholars, scholars of history, linguistics, uh, literature, any of those. I, I listen constantly because I still want to learn. I'm going to be 66 in just a couple of weeks, and I hope that I'm still learning the day I die. I really do. Moving on. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly, because um, you get good at it. If you in, indulge in godless chatter long enough. Now, and again, godless chatter doesn't mean, oh, we're talking about, like back in November, the World Cup. It doesn't mean uh, that we're talking about, you know, the SEC or the Big Ten or Big 12, whatever it is now. When it doesn't mean that. Godless chatter is speech that Jesus has not seasoned. So it could be instead of, um, well, for example, recently Ohio State, Michigan, they, that's the game. Alabama, Auburn, that's the game. One is you can say, I really hope Auburn wins, or I really hope Alabama wins. That game's already over. <laughs> um, but it's very different to say, I can't stand Auburn, can't stand Alabama. Or you can talk about your neighbor saying, listen, I've not seen our neighbor for a while. Do you, have you heard if they're ill? Um, and you, what, you know, I don't want to just go over and knock on a door if they're, they've got you know, respiratory illnesses or something and can't get to the, uh, the door or don't want to open it. That's one thing. But to say, you know, that neighbor, well, I've been noticing some things about the neighbor. That's godless. There's no Jesus in that. Where's the Jesus in what you're talking about? Big, important question. Big important thing. I've um, I've caught myself more times than I, than I can count in the middle of a conversation with somebody and realizing that my speech did not have much in the way of God in it at all. That I was speaking more like a human, seeking, blame, setting, you know, figuring out who's to blame for this, that, or the other, or who should be changing. I've caught myself doing that so many times. And every time it shames me. You know what the worst ones are though? It's the ones where you don't catch yourself in time. You catch yourself a day, a week later. Damage is done. You try to fix it, but you can only fix it as much as you can and others let you. And so avoid godless chatter. Because after a while you get really good at it. Their teaching, we're talking about the, you'll become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Oof. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered far away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. We don't know a lot about these people. There, there are some writings and some pretty good guesses, but here he says they say the resurrection has happened already. 
Well, he's not talking about Jesus because Jesus had been resurrected already. But people had weird ideas and still do about, well, maybe God means this by resurrection and that by resurrection. And they destroy the faith of some. Regardless of where they were going, the end result was people lost faith. A lot of people have lost faith because of prophets in a church, modern day prophets, who will say, this is, um, um, you know, these are the last times Jesus is coming back on this day, or you've got to elect this president because God has called this president to this, and I see the uh, you know blood red moon and a red cow out here, and therefore everything's going to end, and now this is good. for 2,000 years, 2,000 years. And every single person thinks, oh, but I'm the one that got it right. What are the odds, people? What are the odds? Instead of worrying about the end of the world, make sure that your end is well. That when it's time for you to end, you can say, as Paul is about to say here in a couple chapters, I've, I've run a good race. I've finished my course. I've done, I've done my job. Loved God, loved others. Did the best I could. That'd be great. Well, nobody does the best they could, but you know what I mean. Well, let's get to a close here because we're coming up on 30 minutes, so we try not to go beyond that. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows who are His, and, and that's out of number 16. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. That one was um, that one's a little harder to source. We think it is the Septuagint version is where he is going there. Paul hopped versions to get to make his point. And I don't see that as dishonest. And certainly they didn't. The Jewish people, the Masoretic text, the Septuagint, they would they did community work and figuring out what things were, and they were free to remove and recontext things. So are we. So this isn't dishonest. But what he's saying is, no matter what happens, you know, I'm chained, but the gospel is not chained. Some people have lost their faith, but God knows those who are his. And again, that doesn't mean they were pre-chosen. Go back and look at all the other evidence that he asked us to choose him because he's chosen us. And when we choose him, he will formally choose us. Oh, it's fun. But we need to stop for now, and we're going to finish chapter 2 next week. All right? I hope you have a blessed week. And if you're listening to this when they come out, have a great Advent month. Focus on Jesus. Go ahead. I, I love lights. I love trees. And I love presents. And I love you know seeing family and the like. But it's all about Jesus. Remember Jesus. See you next time. Cheers.